0: parables of the messiah number 10 dogs and swine matthew 7 verse 6 we shall miss the purport of the figures of dogs and pigs if we disregard the context for the saying is really a corrective of the too literal application of the command judge not as we have seen those words must not be taken in their widest sense but applied to the critical, censorious attitude of mind. Yet judgments must be made, and discrimination shown in many circumstances of life. The saying about dogs and swine illustrates the introversion ABBA, common in poetry marked by parallelism. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs... Neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Pigs trample under their feet, and dogs rend with their teeth. The saying has troubled some to whom it seems unfitting that men should be compared to dogs and pigs that abhorrence is implied is clear the dog was the scavenger of the street the pig was unclean is thy servant a dog is an indignant remonstrance second of kings eight verse thirteen yet jesus in the same address speaks also of wolves and thistles and these figures are quite as derogatory Peter does not hesitate to apply the proverbs of the washed sow that goes back to wallowing in the dirt, and of the dog that returns to its vomit, to the man who has known the truth, and then forsakes it for the world's pleasures. Does Peter in this reference to the same two animals as in Christ's words echo the language that he heard Jesus speak? It is easy to make the saying an excuse for hiding one's light, withholding speaking when profession of Christ's name is called for. It should be quite evident that men will treat the Word of God as swine treat pearls before we refrain from testifying to the truth of God's saving purpose. It must be clear that they are men who by their actions show that they judge themselves unworthy. And then there is apostolic example to turn away. Acts 13, verse 46. Such men, truly comparable to dogs and swine, can be real enemies of the truth and of those whose aim in life is to follow truth. Aroused to enmity by the faithful life and testimony of Jesus, the evil men of his day opposed him. the servant is not greater than his master and his experience will correspond to that of his master's if his life is like his master's life beware of dogs, beware of evil workers is apostolic counsel Philippians 3 verse 2. And the final unfitness of dogs to enter the city of God is declared in the Lord's last message. Without our dogs, and sorcerers, and formongers, and murderers, and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. Revelation 22, verse 15. Parables of the Messiah, number 11 bread and stone, fish and serpent, Matthew 7, verses 9 and 10, and Luke 11, verse 11. Jesus enjoined continual approach to God in prayer, the tense of the verb he used signifying repeated action, keep on asking. The poetic form in which he uttered his counsel would help men and women to remember his words. Ask, and it shall be given you, seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you, for every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. The ground of the approach, so insistent and persevering, is the fact that God is the Father of His children, In human life, children have a claim on their parents, who, on their part, are desirous to do what they can for their children. But wise parents make a discriminating response, not always giving what is asked, but providing what is good. In both respects, there is a parallel between the human and the divine, But the divine is immeasurably greater in both the willingness to provide and in the wise bestowal of what is best. Immeasurably, although Jesus is content to leave it as a suggestion, how much more? But a suggestion which has neither doubt nor misgiving. As men are much better than the fowls, God is much more ready to clothe His children. Matthew 6 verse 26 to 30 How much more ready is God than human fathers to give? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask Him? chapter 7 verse 11 by two contrasts in matthew and three in luke jesus drives home his point what man is there of you whom if his son ask bread will he give him a stone 7 verse 9 there was a resemblance between the bread and the stone which enhances the lesson The child asks for bread and receives something like it in form, but so different in content. The method of baking in the days of Jesus produced a loaf not unlike a stone. The oven with pebbles forming its floor was heated with grass and twigs, and then the dough was put in. In the case of loaves fired in the public oven, these, owing to the glutinous adhesiveness and elasticity of the dough, and the sudden formation within them of vapor on the hot pavement, puff out into air-tight balls. In traveling through Palestine and partaking of the hospitality of the peasantry, one may notice in the bread the indentations of the pebbles and small patches of gray ash with here and there an inlaid attachment of singed grass or charred thorn, the result of the simple baking process. Such a similarity between a loaf and a stone would suggest that stones be made into bread when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Being so like the bread he needed, the stones would make the appeal very potent, in the second contrast jesus said if he ask a fish will he give him a serpent it has been suggested that by the word translated serpent is meant not a literal serpent but a scale less fish therefore prohibited to be eaten leviticus 11 verse 12 serpent like found in the sea of galilee three feet long Often caught in the nets and, of course, thrown away like the dogfish of our waters. While the word generally denotes a serpent, Liddell and Scott include a kind of fish in their list of meanings of the word. If then the suggestion be correct, and it seems feasible, Jesus in this saying is making a contrast between food allowed by the Lord of God. And that which was unclean. Luke adds the third contrast. If he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? There does not seem sufficient resemblance between an egg and a scorpion to provide a third contrast, until we discover that the scorpion at rest is said to resemble an egg in appearance. In addition, it is said that scorpions may be found under every third a stone in Palestine. The creatures were therefore common and would be familiar to all. The land of Palestine was unfenced, and many a fowl would stray and lay her eggs in some hollow. The resemblance would be readily noticed, and the contrasted qualities of the egg providing wholesome food and the scorpion with its power for harm, would give point to the illustration. "'If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him?' Chapter 7, verse 11 If the idea of niggardliness, which we found to be involved in the evil, used in connection with the eye, chapter 6, verse 23, belongs also to its use here, then the meaning could be expanded. If you, whose nature would lead you to keep for yourselves rather than give to others, do so for your children, will not God, who is always giving that which is good to his creatures, be always ready to give good things to those who ask him? But this use of evil may restrict its meaning too much. Jesus knew that men possessed natures which were evil. Yet even so, parental affection was continually to be seen. God is good. How much more will he be ready to give good things to his children? If a human father does not mock his children, neither will the heavenly father. Parables of the Messiah, number 12, The Two Ways, Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, Luke 13, verse 23 to 24. One writer has drawn a picture of men going to the holy city and, traveling the road, they come to the point where they must leave it to climb the hill by which they enter through the gate into the city. The broadway looks inviting it is spacious and easy this is the way one says no says another who knows more about the place that road leads to gehenna outside the city we must turn here to climb or we shall not get in it may be some such situation was in the mind of jesus in any case It illustrates the saying about the two ways and makes vivid his thought. There is certainly an Old Testament background that would influence his mind. The thought of destiny based on a choice made once for all and adhered to continually occurs in Moses' words concerning the life of the Messiah, Deuteronomy 30, verse 11 to 13, and Paul's exposition, Romans 10. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. More definitely connected with the words of Jesus is the last verse of Psalm 1. The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Here are two ways, the one ending in destruction, and while David does not say the way of righteousness ends in life, he says something more than that. He has said inferentially, verse 5, that the godly shall stand in the judgment, and shall be like an evergreen tree, verse 3, but to be known of God includes all other blessings. Jeremiah has many sayings rooted in the Psalms. In the crisis of Zedekiah's captivity, the prophet declared in words that recalled both Moses and David, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Jeremiah 21, verse 8. Enter ye in at the straight gate. It is a call to make a choice, to separate from the crowd which drifts along the broad way. In Luke 13 verse 24, Jesus says, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. There is a whole exhortation in the word strive. It enshrines a metaphor taken from the foot race. The verb which describes the runner on the course has given us in English the word agonize. But before the race itself there was a period of rigorous training involving self-discipline and attention to everything that made for fitness. The race had to be run strenuously according to the rules, and the one object of reaching the goal had to evoke every effort that in the harmony of mental purpose and bodily strength the laurel wreath might be obtained. All these thoughts are implicit in the word. The crowd follow the way that calls not for self-discipline, but which appears to offer ease and freedom. The men of faith and purpose are not a large number. With this counsel concerning the choice of the right way, Jesus Begins the Epilogue of the Sermon The Beatitudes describe the character of the men who will enter the kingdom. The close of the address tells of the choice they made. The parable emphasizes what is indeed declared throughout the Scriptures, but which the speculations of men have obscured, that to the present is the day of opportunity. The Broadway ends in destruction. It is destruction, the end of a man, that is at the end of the Broadway. Probation beyond the grave is a fiction to which men are led by the doctrine of the immortality of the soul. With that idea in mind, men have to construe destruction as endless torments. And from the horror of this even the theory of probation beyond the present does not provide a way of escape. For a future probation does not ensure that man will choose righteousness, and if the soul is immortal, unless there be repeated probation until all are saved, which is universalism, there is no escape from the logical consequence of endless suffering for some. Human speculation produces pitiful results. The choice of the way now determines the issues of life or death. Thank you.